Welcome to the Young Tribe Soundwise series. In each episode, we'll be speaking with different artists who are part of the Young Tribe community, getting an insight into who they are, what inspires them, and how they create. In this episode, we're speaking with industry veteran Rob Cannon, who's worked in A&R and marketing for several major labels, including Sony Records and BMG, in London, New York, and Sydney. He's also spent time as the head of entertainment management at the Australian Institute of Music. He's currently living in San Francisco, so we're really lucky to have some time to speak with him while he's out here in Australia. So, Rob, thank you very much for coming in and taking the time to, no to have a Good chat. No worries. to be here. Yeah? That's great. You've spent a large part of your professional career working in major labels. Tell us about how, what was the path that led you to getting involved in the music industry? I think it was really, you know, a, a teenage love of music that, uh, that it started it all off. You know, typical kind of teenager who is obsessed with music with a bunch of records. I played piano, I played guitar, I played violin. I played in bands, you know, really badly. You know, <laughs> free beer was about the pinnacle of my artistic career on that front. But, um... You know, just, just, just really kind of realizing that this is something I was really passionate about and wondering how on earth I could actually make a living from it. And I kind of figured out that, okay, if I'm not going to be, you know, a, a, an artist, how can I be involved in the industry in a different way? And I, I sort of pursued some, some actually, after university, I pursued some further studies. I managed to get onto a degree course in the States, which was really just an excuse for me to get out to New York, which mm-hmm. was fantastic. And I started interning at record labels out in the States. And I'd actually, I'd, I'd spent a couple of days on a sort of a work placement thing at EMI Records in London when I was in my teens as well, which was just like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. You know, yeah. free records, listen to music all day. Amazing. Anyway, my internships in New York, you know, led to led to an opportunity right at the sort of the bottom of the pile as a kind of coordinator at BMG, which was one of the majors at the time then subsequently merged with Sony. Mm-hmm. And that was really really the start of it and I sort of worked in a variety of roles uh, I did a bunch of A&R for a while BMG had this worldwide A&R department based in New York so I was involved in that actually what was quite good is because I'm I'm British grew up in the UK so you know through the 90s as I was sort of in my teens I got into dance music which mm. was obviously huge in the UK hadn't really become the big sort of like global phenomenon um, that it has become now so, you know, we had a dance repertoire in the US, particularly stuff that was coming into the US from our European labels. Yeah. And my boss was like, uh, you're British, you know, dance music, you just take <laughs> care of it. So all of a sudden, I'm in charge of all this dance music. I'm going out to Miami for Winter Music Conference, thinking this is the greatest thing ever. So that was kind of the start of it. And worked in A&R, moved into marketing, and sort of through a series of events, went back to London for a bit, little bit. And then I came out to Australia. And I actually came out here to work on the first... Australian Idol, the oh, aftermath yep. of Australian Idol. Yep. So, BMG was the label that um, that you know dealt with the 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 albums from the uh, from the participants in the show, the winner in particular, and and, and that year we did the, one, the winner album, the runner-up album. So Guy Sebastian and Shannon Noel, and then there were some other artists were signed as well. But those were the sort of two key ones, mm. and I was sort of involved for BMG in in the process of really understanding how we did a great job of, of maximizing those records yeah and then they were big records massive records yeah. I mean guy that single um, angels bought me here sold 
I don't know, 300,000 copies yeah. first week, something crazy like that. Yeah. And the album was massive as well. Yeah. So, you know, that was, that was kind of my journey into label land and, and then subsequently working in marketing with a variety of artists. So how did you kind of end up in marketing? Like, was it, was it something you went, okay, I'm actually picking hits is, is a mug's game. <laughs> I'd rather. Wrong way of putting it, absolutely, I, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I actually am more interested in the strategy yeah. around breaking an artist. Like, how did, that, how did that kind of transition occur? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I don't think when I reflect on it, I don't think I kind of really had a clear vision that like marketing is what I want to do. I think it was more a product of the fact that I had, right at the start of my career in particular, as a coordinator, as an intern, as a, like a temp assistant, I'd worked across all these different departments. So I'd done some NR, I'd done some marketing, I'd done some promo and publicity, I'd done sales, I'd done the mailroom, I'd yeah. done the executive office, I'd done everything. Yeah. And because the sort of marketing departments of record labels are as much about sort of project management as they are about sort of what one thinks of sort of pure marketing. I guess that put me in quite a good position to have a bit of experience or a little bit of understanding about all the different functions of a label and perhaps a capacity to to pull them all together. Mm -hmm. And I think also on a personal level, particularly you know, when you're working with a domestic artist, you're very involved in creating a lot of tools. So obviously, you know, the, the, the music is a bit of a different story, but you know, my my role was, you know, I was part of the process of creating music videos and photos and yeah. imaging and branding and artwork and all the rest of it, which which really appealed to me as well. So I guess a marketing role is one of those roles that everyone knows about that exists. <laughs> so take us through a typical approach to working on a marketing plan for an artist on a major label. It's one of those things where, you know, every, every label's got their different process and every person's got a different approach. But, you know, you're really kind of trying to understand, I guess, some fundamentals about, you know, who, who the artist is, what the project is about, what the music's about, what the brand is all about, to kind of use a marketing term. You're really understanding what, what are we dealing with here as a proposition, as a as an artist, as artistic expression, you know, what is the experience that, that we're trying to engender in our listeners? What's the message we're trying to convey? What's really going on? What are we dealing with? And then also trying to understand, well, who is out there who might be interested in this? What is what is our audience look like? What does a potential audience look like? And why would they spend their time, spend their money, spend their energy engaging with us? And you start to think about some of those kind of, you know, concerns that then leads you on to the process of figuring out how you then put that into uh, a record, put that into a campaign, put that into a message and how you, you begin a dialogue and, and have a presence. So some of those sort of big questions and how you sort of go about that more procedurally, there's you know, a range of different approaches, but those are the sorts of you know, spaces where I think you start off. So the top level approach is vital right. and dictates in how you kind of right. put in place the processes to deliver whatever that plan is. Definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of the time when projects go wrong, particularly when, you know, you start off with a great song and you go, this is awesome, but then it doesn't really kick into this sort of massive behemoth of a, of a finalist project. And you think, well, what went wrong? And sometimes it's those disconnects in those, those sort of fundamental pieces that, that has taken place. You know, I worked on a project once where the artist had a very firm view of who he thought he was the artist you know felt that they were a particular particular artist proposition but the way that an audience was trying to starting to build around it was sort of based on something a bit different right so there was a disconnect there and almost you know as a marketing team we're in the middle going how do we bridge this gap can we bridge this gap yeah. you know and and where do we sort of put our attention in trying to i don't know 
re-educate or shift artistically or whatever how do we address that and it's you know it's interesting disconnects like that can sometimes be problematic that's a really good point because that's probably occurs more than Mm -hmm. most people realize Mm -hmm. so how do you manage that particularly when if you have an artist that perceives himself as let's say hey i'm just a super cool indie artist and all of a sudden they're finding this incredible pop audience Mm -hmm. and they're going no that's not who i am How do you kind of appease the artist and obviously the fact that, you know, there's a there's potential for the label to yeah. to do very well? Uh, that's I mean, that's a really difficult question and there are so many high profile examples of that <laughs> exact yeah. you know situation blowing up. I mean the first one that springs to mind is is Kelly Clarkson, you know, who mm. won the first American Idol, had a couple of massive, massive pop records off the back of Idol, and then wanted to record a sort of a darker rock record, which she felt, you know, reflected who she was and obviously had a big uh, <laughs> falling out with her label, disagreement, yeah. you know, discussion, however you want to put it. And of course, you know, there was debate about whether she could do that artistically. Then, of course, there was the, the ramifications commercially mm. and all the rest of it. You know, I think at the end of the day, authenticity is key. Authenticity is one of those kind of buzzwords which, you know, we, we love in this industry. Mm. And when you kind of throw it around a lot, people go, well, what do you actually mean? And it's, it, you know, it's hard to figure out exactly what that is. But, you know, I think, you know, artists are who they are. And I think it's very hard to do anything in this life if you're not trying to being true to yourself. And particularly for an artist where, you know, expressing your art and your music is is such a personal thing. You have to be just following your own true, authentic self in that self-expression. So I guess, you know, for me, that is a key sort of question to go back to and, and to really have some, some debate about, is this authentically who this artist is? And if it really is, and there's an audience out there that's kind of, I don't know, grabbing onto something else, then, then sometimes you just got to go, well, we're not going to bring that audience with us, but you know, that's just the way it is. And there are there are lots of artists who have transitioned from one one brand persona to another as they've grown up or as they've evolved as people or what have you. And, you know, sometimes that is quite a painful process because they do shed audiences. But, I mean, ultimately it's who they have to be and, and I think that's how you've got to approach it. And also they, you know, musically they just evolve and grow and change. Absolutely. So their third record is obviously yep. not the same as their first. Exactly. And it could be completely different for a different audience. Exactly. You work with a range of different artists. So is the overall kind of approach the same when you're sitting down to go, okay, well, how are we going to work this record? Or does it differ based on, differ vastly based on each artist? And does the artist get involved often or is it through the manager? Like, mm-hmm. or is it kind of a bit of everything? I think you do best when you take each project as a completely blank slate and you're prepared to kind of throw everything up in the air in terms of process, in terms of, you know, the sort of the the staple approaches that you might take and, you know, be willing to question everything. It's very tempting, particularly if you've had massive success with, you know, with a recent project to go, right, we're going to do the same again, you know, mm-hmm. similar kind of artist or, or even like, you know, we did this particular, you know, set of processes first, you know, we sort of figured out this and then we did this and then we did this. But I think sometimes you can, you know, you can really hamstring yourself by feeling like you've got to follow a process. I think the fundamentals, some of the things we mentioned earlier about really figuring out what's going on, what the artist is about, what the, what the music's about is, you know, is obviously a key part of the start of the process. But being open to different approaches, being open to trying new things, being open to questioning the fact that just because something worked six months earlier 
is it going to work again, I think is is super key. And again, where things can go wrong is that point where where one gets complacent and you go, okay, you know, this worked brilliantly last time, whether it was like getting a track on this particular playlist on a streaming service or whether it was a particular advertising campaign or, you know, a tour supports or whatever, you know, the trap is always, if you think it's worked once or work again, that's, that's, that's a mistake. In terms of dealing with the artist, they're all different in my experience. You know, I've had some artists and their teams that I've worked with where it's very much through the manager. Mm-hmm. I've had others where it's obviously the you know the, the the communication with the manager is 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 constant and frequent. But the artist gets not just gets involved, but they'll be the one picking up the phone and calling me and going, "Okay, this is what I want to do," and let's meet up and talk me through this and talk me through that. You know, and some. Some artists are very clearly driven by their art and don't care about the commerce. And they're like, as long as I get to make the record I want to make, you just do whatever you want to do with the rest. And others are very much like, okay, I want to sit down. I want to know what radio ads we've got this week. I want to know what playlists we're going to you know, get, that kind of thing. So they're all different. And I think um, there's a lot to be said for that relationship between label and artist being respected being worked on being given due attention and care to you know like any interpersonal relationship it's unique and you know the success or failure everything going on around it i think can be attributed in large part to the success of that relationship Mm. and again from my personal experience when i reflect on some of the things that i've worked on and, and i've seen and been witness to when there's a really strong working relationship you know that's built on trust it's built on shared goals that's built on respect, that's built on, you know, good communication between the label collectively and then those individuals like a marketing manager or an A&R person or whatever who are the day-to-day point people, between them and between the manager and the artists themselves, then great things happen. Yeah. But when that's not there, yeah, it's it, it goes to you know, <laughs> goes down the tube pretty quickly a lot of the time. <laughs> so That's happened many times. Many times, <laughs> absolutely. The relationship between the A&R team and the marketing team is one that's pretty important. And it's also one that can there can be quite a lot of friction. Yep. An example, obviously, is where you're delivered at basically a turd and the expectation is to make it a smash. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter, so they say. <laughs> how, do you, how do you approach that? Do you, again, do you literally have to be honest and say, you're kidding, right? <laughs> you, you really think this is going to work? Mm. At the risk of offending the artist, the A&R team, or do you just go, okay, well, this is how I think we can make this potentially connect yeah that's that's uh, i mean it's a good question because it is and you know a loaded question (laughs) a loaded question yeah i mean it's a problem that that labels have faced since you know the dawn of the music industry Mm. and and they continue to do so and you see different labels trying all sorts of different things Mm. you know from keeping the two departments completely separate and just Mm. being like just do your job and don't stray outside the confines of the job description to being very enmeshed and trying to have your marketing team involved in you know or at least witness to the creation of the music Mm -hmm. so that they can really have input or at least kind of be on the journey of the making of the music so they really understand the genesis of it and so forth and and then likewise having the A&R team involved in the the creation of tools and branding and uh, marketing strategy and all the rest of it you know in an ideal scenario you do have a you know you do have a coherent team who have their own responsibilities be it A&R be it marketing or whatever but are very much you know engaged on the same page and 
engaged in sort of dynamic conversation all the way through the process about like how's this going to work in terms of fulfilling our needs for artistry our needs for commercial success yeah. our needs to work with other facets of the industry that we need to work with you know be it streaming services or radio stations or whatever it may be um the reality of course is that there is all this tension and there is this it was a hit when it left my desk versus <laughs> can't polish turn and then it comes down to then it then it's a really you know a question of all sorts of individual perspectives and 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 values really you know some of the things that i think spring to mind are the extent to which you know one views one's job through a sort of a professional lens and just goes, yeah. well, I got to do this. This is what I'm here to do. I'm going to bring my expertise to bear as best I can and, and do what I can. The other thing that, you know, is it ties into this particular proposition I find interesting, of course, is the question of personal taste in a project. Yeah. Like, how do you work something that you don't really want to listen to? Yeah. And, you know, I've always thought that it's super important to, 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 to pull the two apart even if you are working on a project that you truly love as a fan because because that can totally blind you as as well mm. so it's to have that sort of critical perspective and just be able to appreciate the value in it you know artistically commercially whatever it is so that you go yep yeah, this this project this artist this record this music deserves to be listened listen to deserves to be worked on and that's how i can be motivated to do my best for that mm. if you can't get to that point then that's a struggle <laughs> your cactus yeah it's problematic exactly. i mean talking about the where the industry is now yeah. i mean it's obviously gone over the last 10 to 15 years immense immense mm-hmm. change the transition between physical sales and streaming yeah. has been probably one of the you know biggest changes how do you think the industry in general has handled that transition oh well <laughs> it's been a fairly bumpy ride. Yeah. There's a lot of pushback initially. <clears throat> Absolutely. You know, I guess we're starting to see, you know, the recorded music industry finally have like year on year growth. Yeah. I think we're in our fourth consecutive year, third or fourth. And, you know, my career started in, you know, the, the end of the 90s, the beginning of the 2000s. So I literally had my first years working in the music industry at the absolute pinnacle and then spent the next two decades in this kind of tales of woe and disaster. So, yeah, it's been brutal. And obviously there's always that funny balance between trying to hold on to the sort of, you know, the burning embers of what you've still got Mm. and fight off the sort of the encroaching forces of new technology versus figuring out you've got to jump at some point and where is that point? You know, and I think at the moment, obviously, the, the the majors and the recording industry, certainly from a commercial perspective, are starting to enjoy some success mm. with streaming. Um, but obviously, that doesn't translate across all strata of, of, of the industry. And I know that there are obviously a lot of inequalities that are coming to light in terms of, you know, the deal structures, in terms of the royalties, in terms of even just the perspective on how art should be monetized and, and paid for. So, you know, the problem's continue i mean one could say that you know the music industry has been perpetually disrupted by technology over the years with you know format changes the advent of radio initially fm radio was a you know Mm -hmm. bit of a threat but um it's definitely been a really bumpy couple of decades that's for sure and i think um you know a lot of people are kind of thinking all right what's the next battle Mm. i mean the other big thing that obviously is you know causing quite a bit of 
debate and consternation as a result of some of this disruption is you know royalties copyrights how particularly how royalty structures work in a digital age you know yeah. who gets paid for what and how yeah um so you know there's a lot that needs to be worked out you bring up a good point about streaming service and the inherent inequalities i guess big songs and big artists have always made a lot of money yep and they continue to do so on whether it was streaming, whether it was CDs, whether it was vinyl. But I think at, when you start talking about independent artists and artists that probably 15 years ago could sell 3,000 CDs at 20 bucks a pop, mm-hmm. struggle mm-hmm. in a streaming age simply because the streaming numbers have to be far greater. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, you know, you see independent artists that have a little bit of radio play, are lucky enough to maybe get you know, their songs placed on a key TV show and ad and end mm-hmm. up with streams of, you know, monthly streams between a half a million to a million, mm-hmm. which is enough to sustain a, a career. Yeah. But do you think that that space that those artists inhabit in is sustainable mm-hmm. the way it is? It's going to keep evolving. It has to keep evolving, that's for sure. I think that, I mean, the whole monetization of streaming services and, you know, there are people far more qualified than me to speak about this, so hopefully I don't butcher this too much. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot, obviously there's a lot lot of calculations involved in those payments that are very different from the old school model of like here's a cd here's a wholesale price here's a retail price and there's your one-off royalty payment on that unit and so you know the sort of the lifetime streams and the lifetime spend of a song and then the way that the total pool of money that goes into a streaming service in any given month from subscriptions and ad Revenue is then split up by the number of songs that were streamed and then that flows back to the label who've got their own royalty agreement or a contractual agreement with the artist. There's, there's so many sort of moving pieces. Mm. It's so hard to quantify. You know, you can't even say, well, one Spotify stream pays not one, no, 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 two cents. It might have done that particular month, but, you know, it, it's always shifting. Mm. So I think this makes it very hard to kind of correct because it's very hard to pin down these moving parts. And, you know, as the streaming pool grows... You've got more people listening, you've got more subscriptions and more revenue flowing in, but then you've also got more streams because everybody's listening more. Mm. So that sort of then divides the pot down into smaller chunks anyway. So it's still quite hard to see how it's going to play out. The bottom line is there are going to be artists doing their thing at that kind of level who aren't superstar but are trying to make a sustainable living. How that sort of um, landscape looks for them and how they devote their time and make their money, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. It's it's really tricky, really, really tricky. You know, there are obviously parts of the industry that are getting fingers pointed at them and, you know, streaming services have taken a lot of heat. Some of it may be deserved, some of it probably isn't at mm. all. But it's such a complex situation, it's going to be very hard to sort of pick apart and shift, I think. Well, technology has allowed, with a few mouse clicks now, for an artist's the ability to have their music available worldwide in a way that's never existed. So I guess on one side, that's an amazing ability and it's a great way it's, it's a great to have that you know available yeah. the downside obviously is it's incredibly tough for particularly independent artists to get anyone to care about their music absolutely I mean this is a this is a huge a huge question <laughs> but for any independent artists that are releasing their own music what are some you know general tips to helping them find an audience there are probably a few sort of fairly general themes that I think are important in terms of the specifics it's you know, it's hard to pinpoint anything because every artist is different and the landscape shifts so much but I think you know the first thing is 
coming back to what I was saying about from a label perspective, where do you start with an artist project? It's just figuring out who they are, what they stand for, what the music's all about. You know, having that clear sense of self, sense of identity, an authentic image, image not the right word because that implies it's constructed, but an authentic identity to present to the world as oneself and through one's music. I think, you know, being aware of that yourself is super important. Figure out who you are then just make sure you're really, really, really damn good at what you do. Yeah. You know, if you're like, I want to write songs, write a thousand songs. You know, I mean, that sounds like a lot. Most of them will be rubbish, but mm. you just got to get really good at your craft, mm. performing, recording, whatever it is. Get good at it. Spend time making sure you're as good as you can possibly be. And then it's it's really a kind of a no-stone, unturned policy you know just basically think about how can i get myself out there how can i start to communicate with an audience obviously you know social media has proliferated the industry proliferated our communication in in general so be on it have a presence on it figure out which of the various platforms work best for you i don't think you need to be on everything yeah but whatever you do you need to be engaging with it you know regularly confidently and use it as best you can to express who you are and I guess to that end make sure you're across what's going on in the social media trends you know kind of keep yourself informed networking is always super important Mm. and you know networking isn't just about kind of like marching into every record label in the land and kind of demanding to meet people or introduce yourself or whatever it's just putting yourself in a position to engage with other musicians with people in the industry at whatever level and considering how you can turn you know, a one-off interaction into an ongoing relationship. You know, you play a show like First Band on the Bill on a Monday night at the local pub and you get talking to the guy who books the bands for the pub. Figure out how you can turn that into an ongoing relationship. How can you, you know, hit this person up a couple of weeks later and get another gig? Those sorts of things. And it's just being very, very dedicated and very focused. This is who I am. This is what I want to achieve. Go at it. You bring a good point, particularly around what's the foundation of any artist is the the music. Yep. Because technology also allows, you know, anyone pretty much with a smartphone to create music very, very easily. Doesn't mean it's very good. Right. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) So so I think now more than ever it's it's vital that you actually I mean it's what you said write as many songs as you can mm-hmm. and just make sure that whatever you commit to releasing mm-hmm. has to be incredible. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think the industry has a way of actually finding the stuff that rises to the top. Mm-hmm. If you look at something like, I guess what happened with Lord is a really good example, yep. Yep. and EP out in SoundCloud, yep. and then 18 months later, she's a global superstar. She's huge, yeah, yeah. Those, you know, things always, well, yep. for me, yep. give me faith in the music industry because it's like it comes down to yep. great songs. Yeah. At what point in an artist's career, particularly if they're starting to get some momentum, mm. do you think a, a label can kind of add firepower? There's a number of ways that a label can sort of take a particular project or can it can advance it down, you know, down the track, take it to a next a next level so to speak you know and often that just comes with a bit of financial investment potentially or opening doors accessing networks that get you onto tours or affiliated with particular project or a particular producer or another artist or you know distribution nationally versus just in your city or internationally and it's sometimes you see kind of artists that do sort of get a bit of early momentum and then get stuck because there is some kind of ceiling they just can't kind of get through and it might be yeah like I can't get out of 
the country or my city or whatever it is and and it's those sort of situations where i think you know labels can can bring value and you know on the artist side of things really they want to be doing as much as they can before they get a label involved and it's when you get to that point again you know we've we've got this momentum but there's this particular hurdle in place um, that we just can't get over without the help of a label, that's when you go looking for it, rather than just going, hey, I finished my record, where's the label? And I know that that's easy for us to sit here and say, and when you're an artist and it's just like, ah, you know, I, I can't do it all myself. Where's where's you know, where's the backup? But it is, it is a balancing act. And, and the more you can do to generate your own momentum with perseverance, with no stone unturned, getting your social media presence started, building an audience one person by one person friend are their friend and so on you know the more you can do that yourself the better that organic growth is mm-hmm. absolute gold yep. when you find those super fans who yep. will literally spread the word yeah. <laughs> yeah. with regards to your music I guess that's a holy grail when it comes to you know engaging an audience yeah absolutely and again it's so much easier said than done you know go and build an audience yeah how um, <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard and you know you do literally build them one by one and those are those first fans are the most valuable because they're the ones who came when there was nothing really to come to other than a couple of tracks and hopefully they'll be your biggest champions moving forward so look after those first fans like you'd look after your own mother you know just take good care of them and they will you know repay the kindness it is a one-by-one approach you know it doesn't happen overnight even overnight sensations have been toiling for years before they have their overnight success and it you know you just you just got to keep plugging away and and if you know if you've done everything you can to be as good as you can in your craft then you've got to trust in the fact that people will come little by little by little if you keep putting it out there look after your fans that's really good advice rob yep Thank you very much for coming in. Cool. All right. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. This podcast is hosted by Michael Zamowski. You can find out more by visiting youngtribe.tv. 